Good morning. Let me start by saying thank you for inviting me to be here. I'm greatly honored. Uh, it feels like I'm home. Maybe it's the Malawian flag that's looking at me over here. But of course, the welcome has just been powerful. Thank you so much. Uh, I'm African. And, and that means I, I, I have to share with you in an African way, quite intentionally. Uh, and therefore, I chose not to use PowerPoint today. Let's hear a story. Let's take a narrative approach. So instead of using PowerPoint, let's dig in the scriptures and, and just find out stories of what God and Christ does for us um, through one another. I'll, I'll be focusing on um, the unfinished task of making disciples for Christ around the world. Um, as you've heard, we've read from Luke, but that scripture in Luke is actually a reflection of what's happening in Isaiah. Um, so it comes from Isaiah 61, which is just after Isaiah 60, which is, which is the theme of Bangor Worldwide this year. So that's, that's what I'm trying to do with you this morning. Um, coming to Bangor feels like a um, pilgrimage for me. 23 years ago, God called me from Malawi to Switzerland. Uh, that's like extreme opposite in, in terms of what's going on in the world now. But I ended up in a place called St. Gallen in Switzerland. I didn't know about St. Gallen up until I got there. And reading the story of St. Gallen really made me aware of the impact of Bango in world mission. And so to have a chance to come here today to connect the dots from, from Blanta in Malawi to St. Gallen in Switzerland, and today I find myself in Bango in Northern Ireland, it's just amazing. Uh, couldn't have thought that when I grew up in rural Malawi. That's totally impossible. But here we are. Um, Luke 4. Jesus has gone back to his home village. He is coming back from the south of Israel, uh, where he was baptized in the River Jordan. He has, he has done his uh, 40 days of fasting and prayer, and now he's launching his ministry. And he goes back to northern Galilee, uh, where, of course, he grew up. He begins to preach and, and, and visiting synagogues and, and really trying to launch a ministry. And, and as he's doing that, he makes his way back to the village where he grew up, a place called Nazareth. Now, if, if, if you know Nazareth, um, at least in this context of the first century world, it really feels like a place where you cannot start a ministry that's going to change the world. It's in the backyard of the country. Nathaniel says in John 1 that nothing good can come out of Nazareth. It's, it's not a place, uh, scholars say, it's not a place where devout Jews would live. 
because there had been a Roman garrison in, in that village and therefore people, devout Jews, would not want to live in, in, in Nazareth. And yet, this is where Jesus was brought up. Sometimes I wonder, actually, it, it could have been possible that Christ would be brought up in Jerusalem among the powerful peoples. If you, if you want to launch a ministry that's going to change the world, you go to the centers of power, right? At least go to Jerusalem. If you don't go to Jerusalem, maybe you can go to Alexandria, or you can go to Antioch, or you can go to Rome. But, but Jesus chooses the opposite direction and goes to Nazareth. And so it is in, in his home village that he goes to the synagogue, is handed the scriptures, and he goes to Isaiah. It does seem like he wanted to go to Isaiah. It was not an accident that he went to Isaiah 61. He really wanted these people in his home village to understand that he is the Messiah. So he goes, he goes to Isaiah and, and says, the spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. And he declares the things that the anointing means for him. And then he sits down. And people are wondering what's going on here. He says to them, today this scripture has been fulfilled before your eyes. I am the Messiah. Life-changing. Unbelievable. As you read further down that chapter, you realize that actually these people knew him. And he knew them. He grew up among them. Some of them begin to say, isn't this the son of Joseph, the carpenter? A boy who grew up in this town. How come he declares himself the Messiah? You go down the, 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 the chapter, uh, they, they begin to push back against Christ. And Christ is also assertively saying, you know, this is the reality. This is, this is what God is doing. I, he has sent me. I am the Messiah. And the people decide to take him, throw him down the cliff. And that's, that's, the, that's the story that we, we, we want to think about this morning. Quite a few things that, we, that, that I would like to highlight. The claim that the Spirit of God is upon me sort of this is the launching statement of Jesus' ministry. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me for he has anointed me. Now, I am an African. I, I, I declared that before. As an African, we, we grow up in a world where the spirit world is something that we talk about naturally. We, we live in a world where spirits and the spirit world and this material world live together, they influence one another constantly. I remember growing up in Malawi and one of the things that we are taught right from childhood is that 
the spirit world is more real than the material world. Now, of course, when I say that to, to Europeans, um, the, 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 the question is always, but we can't see the spirit world. But the fact that we can't see the spirit world does not mean that the spirit world does not exist. You don't see gravity. You don't question it. There are many things that we just take for granted that are here, even though we don't see them. Now, from an, Afri an African reading this text sees something that's natural, something that's native. The Spirit of the Lord comes to empower the Messiah to begin to touch the world. This work of touching the world is impossible without the empowering of the Spirit. Partly because, of course, the Spirit gives us power. Again, referring back to my African upbringing, we know that spirits are more powerful than humans. Don't question it. We know it. That's why people will, will call on spiritual forces to come and help them in, in, in physical life. Because, and, and that's why people call upon their ancestors, not worshiping, call upon their ancestors, because they believe that in the spirit form, they are more powerful, they are more able to help. So we, we, we understand this there. To get this mission done, we need the power of the Spirit. I, I, I believe that this is exactly why Christ says to the disciples in Acts 1, he says, don't go up until you have been given power from on high, and then you'll be my witnesses. And we know that they wait in Jerusalem. A good 10 days after Jesus goes to heaven. They don't know what they're waiting for. He just said, wait for the promise of the Father. And they wait up until the Bible says the day of Pentecost was fully come. And when it came, there was a sound of a mighty rushing wind from heaven. The very people who were in hiding became bold proclaimers of the gospel. And, and, and the preaching of the gospel with them, in the power of the Spirit, goes along with the performance of miracles and many other things. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to preach the good news to the poor. Now, still on the Spirit, we know, and again, I'm preaching this as an African. This is Bango worldwide. If I preach like a European, it doesn't make sense. I have to, have to be African. Again, we know that out there, the spirit, the spirit world is there. But we know that in that spirit world, there are spiritual forces that want to frustrate us, that fight against our progress, that make life difficult for us. 
We see, we see this over and over in the scriptures where, where Jesus confronts demons. And, and we, we realize that actually to get that kind of work done, you need the power of the Spirit. To go out there believing that God, through His Spirit, the Holy Spirit, that lives in us, wants to heal this sick world, wants to change people's lives, wants to make our lives better, we realize that we cannot do that without the power of the Spirit because that kind of work will face a lot of opposition. There is an enemy that seeks to frustrate the kingdom of God. And it is for this reason that we need the power of the Holy Spirit. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me. Now, one more thing about the Spirit, and probably I'll be done. What, what some of, in the grand scheme of things, what's happening in, in this text in Luke, what's happening in the Gospels is that Jesus is working with God to change the way God has lived with God's people, to shift the covenant from what they had in the Old Testament that was based on the law to something new in the New Testament that's based on the Spirit living inside us. And that shift is a spiritual shift. Jesus announces the kingdom of God. The kingdom of God is here. The kingdom of God is at hand. The kingdom of God is near. And all that is about a spiritual realm in which God himself is king. But it has to be spiritual. It cannot be, it cannot be physical. It, the Spirit lives in each one of us. It, it, the Spirit shifts the ministry of Jesus from just being this one man walking up and down in Palestine to actually being God living in each one of us in the billions of followers of Christ that exist in the world today. But it has to be the Spirit, again, because it cannot be based on race. It cannot be based on education. It cannot be based on anything else. It has to be based on the Spirit to flatten the hierarchy so that we can all be followers of Christ, be one in Christ be equal in Christ. That each one of us, whether from Northern Ireland or from Malawi, the same Spirit of God lives in us. Have one Lord, one Father, one God, one Spirit, one baptism. Christ has one body in the world. He doesn't have two bodies. We all belong to this one body. How is that possible? 
the Spirit. The same Spirit that works in you is the Spirit that works in you. Is the Spirit that works in Christians in Fiji. Is the same Spirit that works in Christians in Chile, in Russia, in South Africa. It's the same Spirit. And it cannot disown itself. And so it has to be the Spirit so that we can all belong together. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me. The Spirit of the Lord is upon you. For God has anointed you. I started by telling you about my story, my, 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 my time in St. Gallen. That goes back several hundred years when, when Gal left Bungo to go start a community in, in a place that's now called St. Gallen. The same God that sent Gal from here is still sending people from here to the rest of the world. But it's the same God that's also sending people from the rest of the world to Europe, to Northern Ireland, to the West. When we, when we, when we, to, today we live in a world where we take it for granted that there are Christians, followers of Christ in every country in the world. That is a very, very, very new reality. If we go back 50 years, 1970, it was not like that. If we go back 70 years to, nine, to, to 1950, 80% of Christians in the world were white and were living in the West. Today, that's come down to probably 30%. And why am I saying this? I want to appreciate the great work that your ancestors have done. The sending of missionaries from here. The, the, the many, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if there are people here who have been to Malawi. The, the, the many missionaries that you have sent to go and work in Africa, in Asia, in Latin America. The direct result of that is, of course, that actually today, for example, Malawi has more Christians than, I mean, we, we, we joke about the fact that Malawi has more Presbyterians than, than Scotland. <laughs> right? It's fairly new reality. Uh, when, when I speak about this in, in England, we know for sure that Nigeria alone, or Uganda alone, or even Kenya alone has more Anglicans than all the Anglicans in the West, in Europe, in North America, put together. Each one of those countries. But that's a fruit of your labor. Or maybe I should say the fruit of the labor of your ancestors. The reality today is there are more Christians out there, probably more than there are in Europe. Of course, we know that there are more Christians in Africa today than there are in, in Europe. Now, while that has happened, while, while Christianity has exploded in Africa, Christianity has struggled in Europe. 
And it is natural that the, the same God that sent Europeans to Africa is now sending Africans to Europe, is now sending Asians to Europe, is now sending Latin Americans to Europe. It's the same God, it's the same mission. It's the same spirit. Now, I think this is something to celebrate. That God is still sending people. And he's sending people from here just as much as he's sending people from elsewhere. This, this some people want to, to, to make it look like, you know, the, the time of European mission is gone. I, you can't even say that. We need more Europeans in mission today. Especially in a time where, actually, Europe itself is a mission field. And, and, and I mean, I, I've worked in the West here for more than 20 years now. I can confidently say that, actually, Europe could be the hardest mission field in the world today. And so, as we send people to the rest of the world, let us also be aware that actually, in our own backyards is a mission field. And, and what does that mean in a world where the Spirit is sending people from everywhere to everywhere? Maybe God will send an Asian to your neighborhood to be a missionary. Maybe God will send an African to your church to be a missionary. Maybe God will send a Latin American. It's still the same God. It's still the same sending. It's still the same task of making disciples for Christ in the world. It's the same God. It's the same mission. The mission fields have shifted. The very countries who sent missionaries to Africa 50, 70, 100 years ago now need missionaries sent to them. And those missionaries today will come from Latin America, Africa, Asia. How do you respond? Now, let me finish with this. I'll take you back to, to Nazareth. What Jesus does by going back to Nazareth, and, and, and as you follow the story, he will... He will gather 12 men around him, fishermen, um, uneducated. They don't really have money, they don't have power, they don't have influence, they're just fishermen. But he gathers them around, around himself. He travels with them for three and a half years, showing them bits and pieces of the kingdom 
tells them to wait up until they receive the Holy Spirit and empowers them to start this whole world-changing thing. He did not, he did not go to the powerful places and the powerful people. He could have easily started this out in Rome. I mean, the Jewish diaspora was quite a thing already back then. That's why he spent a few years in Egypt. When we look at Acts chapter 2, where the church is born, we realize that the world is represented in Jerusalem on that day. Luke says there were devout Jews from every nation on it, at least as far as he understood the geography of the world back then. He believed. And it's not just the physical presence of the people in Jerusalem on that day. When the Spirit came down, these people spoke in tongues, in languages from around the world. If you had come from Tunisia, from Carthage, you would hear them speak great things of God in a Carthaginian language. God knows their Carthaginians. He knows their language. It's represented in Jerusalem on the day of Pentecost. If you had come from India, if you had come from Persia, if you had come... God wanted to include you in that story. The key... He starts out right at the margins, right in Nazareth, right among, you know, in a place that doesn't promise anything. And it's from there. It is from there that he starts a movement to which we belong today. Maybe... If, if he were in, in the UK, he wouldn't start in, in, in London. Probably not in Manchester. Maybe not even in Belfast. It's a place like Bangor. And it's people who don't have a promise. And yet God comes and empowers them and equips them to touch the world. How does he do that? through his spirit. May I encourage you. God's spirit is given. It's given for us to actually touch the world. The spirit is given for us to go and heal the sick. The spirit is given for us to go and, and, and set the captives free. At least look for Isaiah 61. The anointing is for real things in this world. It's not just something that happens out there. It is that we can actually go out and share God's love with the world. Share God's love with Europe, the hardest mission field in the world today. Thank you so much. God bless. <laughs>